The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters for the month of November. Ira Bell, Dan Wagner, Jed Winters, Christopher Valenz, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector, and Tristan Pantorato. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, we are back in our $10 million home studios. Uh, sorry, the Bowser Oil Studios, sponsored by Bowser Oil. Uh, thank you to Bowser Oil for, you know, building these home studios for us, Neil. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, we got to thank everyone as well for tuning into our stream last week. That blanket did not hold up very well or for very long, either, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. But you see, I have a feeling that this sponsorship with Bowser Oil, which has been a thing since we recorded our Double Dash episode, listeners will remember. I have a feeling mm-hmm. that that company must be bankrupt and they've just forgotten to, to cut us as a sponsor because we have received no messages from them in the last uh, four months it's been approximately. But the checks keep rolling in and, uh, you know... Yeah, $10 million studio, the $10 million podcast. We finally made it. Uh, we're getting up there with Call of Duty numbers, which has been good. Uh, but yeah, our last week's episode was a ton of fun. That was the first time that you and I, Mike, have ever recorded uh, an episode in person like that face-to-face in 73 weeks or 73 episodes plus side missions. So it's been like, what, 80 weeks or so? Very impressive. And I, it was a lot of fun. I look forward to doing stuff like that in the future. But yeah, it was a lot of fun to celebrate the GameCube's 20th anniversary. We're now into the third decade of the GameCube now. It's pretty amazing. Uh, the fact that we actually got to 20 years of the GameCube. I know that <laughs> obviously it <laughs> was it happen. not was it not going to happen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Time could have just stopped. Yeah, uh, that that's happened before. Yeah, uh, it happened in March 2020. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. But uh, no, honestly, we really appreciate everyone tuning in. All the great messages that we got afterwards. We will definitely be doing this again in some uh, shape or form. But um, Neil, another thing that's back is concerts. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least for me, I went to my first indoor concert uh, this weekend, and yeah, that was weird. I wanted, to, I wanted to pick your brain about that because you did go to a concert, to a venue that you and I both love. We've been going to the Danforth Music Hall here in Toronto. We've been going to that venue probably for the last decade or so. It's it's my favorite place to see a show in Toronto. I don't know about you. Uh, I have the most cherished memories going to that venue to see Streetlight Manifesto, Bo Burnham, The Wonder Years, and several other bands. Um, so how was it going to a show for the first time in two years? The last show we saw was Pew 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 in early 2020. So walk us through it. What uh, what did you have to do to get in? It was just like a normal show, but some people had masks on. I had a mask on. Um, I moshed with friend of the show, Dan, uh, in in the pit uh, with masks on. And I got to say, that takes zaps your energy very fast. Uh, <laughs> you were like short of breath almost immediately. <laughs> now you know why those guys train in the gym with those Bane masks. You remember those uh, when we used to go and it's uh, oxygen, you're cutting off the oxygen to your body. So when you actually do finally go to a show and hopefully in the next few years where you don't have to wear a mask, you're going to be like on like Goku, just super Saiyan mode, uh, just moshing people into the, onto the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. I've been thinking a lot about concerts because you you asked me if I wanted to go to the show last night and uh, I couldn't because I was seeing family. But I've, I've been thinking a lot about just what I've done in the last year to sort of get around not going to concerts because I love it. And I've become a pretty big fan of concerts on 
on CD, to be frank, or just recorded concerts on Spotify. Live, I love live albums. Me too. I, I don't know why more bands don't do it. A lot of the bands that you and I love, especially indie bands, they don't have the resources to do it, I suppose. It's typically bigger bands mm-hmm. that do it. Uh, like my, my, my parents, especially when we were kids, we they had live albums of like Paul McCartney, Elton John, Phil Collins. Like we heard all of these live albums, even some comedians like Jerry Seinfeld. That's how we experienced a lot of concerts when we were kids because we weren't old enough to go to shows. My parents didn't have money to take us to shows. Uh, And it's how I've been experiencing shows for the last year. There have been a few virtual concerts on Zoom or whatever, which have been interesting. But a funny story, I – over the last couple of years, the older I get, the more I actually listen to MXPX, which is a band that you, you and I both love to make fun of. Uh, for listeners that don't know, MXPX are basically like this pop punk, skate punk band. I think they're from California. They're extremely generic. Uh, whenever we, we used to go to like record stores in, in university, uh, you'd be able to find all the MXPX CDs because people just got rid of them. Uh, <laughs> always the, the entire collection because no one owned just one or two. That was no. the thing. It was like the entire discography. Of, uh, of MXPX. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but the older I get, the more I, I find myself listening to them. I don't know why. <laughs> That's really I, funny. I, I actually really like them now. It's it's like unironically, I listen to them. And uh, they're, they're kind of like the modern day Ramones, I guess. Like all of their songs sound the same. It's the same four chords. The songs are very cookie cutter pop punk, but I they put out a live uh, concert album just this year. So I'm assuming it was one of the first shows that they did when they went back and the lead singer's like, we're MXPX. Like you couldn't understand what he said and, and they just go right into it. I think he said, how's everybody feeling today? But like, I was, I just burst out laughing. I was sitting at a red light. I just burst out laughing at this red light because I couldn't understand a word this guy said. I don't know the names of them, but they're just so punk and it's hilarious. It's amazing. But, yeah. You would have loved it. I thought of you because we always used to make fun of MXPX. But now I listen to them. So next week for the opening, we should do uh, things you unironically like. Oh, that's a good uh, one. That that should be ironic. So I I want to I want to do that next week. I already have a couple in my mind. Okay, I love that. Let's put a pin in that and uh, save it for next (laughs) week. But a topic that we need to cover this week, Mike, is one from Patreon. Irabelle writes in and Irabelle wants to know if you had to remake planes, trains and automobiles, who would you put in the two lead roles? And you both cannot pick the same two people, which is fine. I think that we, I don't think we even talked about this uh, before we got started. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, for listeners that don't know, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a 1987 film starring Steve Martin and John Candy. Uh, it's a really funny movie, actually. It's very good. Great for, movie. Yeah, it's a really good movie for this time of year, too. Our American listeners will be celebrating Thanksgiving. Uh, if not, to, this episode goes live on the Thursday of Thanksgiving, right before Black Friday. Uh, so it's a really good movie to watch this time of year. Uh, one one interesting thing that I found out about this movie, Mike, is this movie's rated R. It's rated R. Yeah. Why? I don't know because it's because it's too real. <laughs> Maybe I don't. I, I I think I have it right. Like it's it's uh it was on IMDb because I had to go through the cast just to see who yeah. I was missing. I know that I Rebel wants us to cast the, the leading two roles, but I, I I threw in a couple other uh, characters in there too that I'd like to see in this movie. Okay. Um, so I have my cast ready to go. So I'll get started if that's okay. Yeah, you go for it. All right, sounds good. So, uh, of course, the leading character is Steve Martin. He's a family man trying to get home for the holidays, and he just can't. That's the whole plot of the film, is uh, Steve Martin and John Candy's character are taking planes, trains, and automobiles to get home. So my Steve Martin character, uh, I, I put him in as Thomas Middleditch. Um, I don't know if you know this comedian or not, Mike, but there's a great... Net- I do, I yeah, do. There's a great Netflix special or Netflix series, I suppose, Middleditch and Shorts, and it's uh, they're improv uh, actors or improv comedians. 
And I really like this character for whatever reason. He seems like a good like family man character, I think, that could play Steve Martin's role in this. Uh, yeah. He, he's a really good guy that like – or a really good actor that I think would be funny to have just cr- crazy hijinks happening to him and him reacting. Yeah, he's a, a straight man. Yeah. He always acts as like – like even the sketches, he's a straight man. Exactly. And Ben Schwartz is kind of like the – the the oddball exactly so like i saw him i recently watched a uh, wolf of wall street which he plays a very small role in he he like he's a guy who like brings his goldfish to the office for like some str- <laughs> he has to clean his goldfish bowl and i thought that scene was hilarious so i i put thomas middleditch in there and john candy's character i had trouble with john candy's character because there aren't too many overweight well-known actors these days um, you don't have to be overweight. No, you don't. But I mean, <laughs> I was not, try- <laughs> I was just trying to find somebody. Who, I was trying to find somebody who has like a John Candy, uh, like body language and fi- and physicality on screen. I okay. could. I would have gone with like Jonah Hill if this was maybe ten years ago. Uh, but Jonah yeah. Hill would not have been old enough. That's another thing about this movie is that uh, Steve Martin and John Candy are both like thirty, even though they look like they're fifty. Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I went with Will Arnett. Uh, okay. to, to play John Candy's role. I love Will Arnett. Uh, hilarious in uh, Semi-Pro. You and I both love that movie. Uh, he's a great, he's got great comedic presence in movies. And I think that he could be really good. But instead he's of being, the best voice. he's got an amazing voice. And I think instead of being like an aloof kind of idiot, I think he could be like a really funny, like cunning, almost like a darker sense of humor to the character. Um, yeah. Just to make the movie a little bit different. And he's Canadian. So mm-hmm. nice touch there. Yeah. So we have John Candy, obviously Canadian icon as well. So yeah. that's, yeah, I like that. Great. Uh, yeah. And uh, and I'm just going to rip through the last couple of actors here that I filled in. Steve Martin's wife will be played, or I guess Thomas Middleditch's wife will be played by Audrey Plaza. Love her. Love it. Uh, the woman at the airport who refuses to give uh, Steve Martin, I think he's trying to either rent a car or get on the plane, would be uh, played by Jack Black. Love Jack Black. And, uh, of course. And then the state trooper needs to be played by Kevin James because <laughs> <laughs> Kevin James need to be, needs to be the cop, state trooper, mall cop in every movie that ever exists from now on. So that's my cast. Like that. <laughs> that's my cast for Planes, Trains, and Automobile 2021. So, Mike, uh, take us away. If you had to pick two leading roles for this movie, uh, who would you pick? So I went a little different than you. Uh, I So I like British actors a lot. And so I... Uh, casted Ewan McGregor oh, as yeah. Steve Martin's character. Great. Because uh, Ewan is a fantastic actor. And um, he is also a really good straight man, like Thomas Middleditch. Mm-hmm. He kind of has things happening to him. I think of him in the same way as I would in Christopher Robin. Okay. So he can basically just kind of take that character and and place it here. It's a, it's literally the same character. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, dragged down by work, uh, <laughs> trying to get home. <laughs> it's kind of a He's similar plot when you think about it. He explains trains and <laughs> automobiles with Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of why I thought of it. So I was like, Ewan McGregor would be a great fit there. And I couldn't think – I was I had the same uh, thing with you where I couldn't think of someone who could fit into John Candy's shoes so mm-hmm. well because John Candy is just an amazing actor and such an amazing human being. Uh, and I was like, well, what if we did a little bit of gender reversal here? Mm. And uh, if we could find a woman who could fit in there a little better. And I thought of Maya Rudolph, uh, who I absolutely love. She is a fantastic comedian, obviously obviously known for SNL, but she's been yeah. in tons of movies as Everything. well. She's, oh, she's the mom Everything. in every movie. Yeah, and she's 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 someone who like often plays the person who's supposed to get on your nerves Mm -hmm. or you know like uh she's the she's always obviously very comedic and funny too yeah uh and she is a comedian by trade so i was like well you know what that that would work really well for uh for her there 
It's a great choice. My girlfriend's going to be dying now because we watch a lot of movies and Maya Rudolph is in every single animated movie. She plays the mom in everything and it just gets on my nerves. I like her too. She was also in uh, Bridesmaids, which is one of the best comedies yes. ever. I, I I always appreciate, like, I know her voices and stuff and it's her voice is fine. It's mm-hmm. whatever. But I, I appreciate her so much more when she's in person because she's such a good physical comedian. Yeah. Um, and, and same with John Candy. So that's kind of where I... I got that there. And I did do a couple of the other characters. I did the state trooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went with Richard Iowati, another British actor. Okay. Uh, and I, I love Richard Iowati because he's also kind of like the straight man, but nice. like very bumbling. What is he in? Uh, <laughs> have I seen him before? <laughs> you you might have seen him in things before. Maybe. He he also has a very particular voice. Okay. Um, We'll talk about it after, after the show. I'll, okay. I'll give you a list of things that he's in. Okay. But Richard I- Iowati, great actor, and I wanted to put him... In there, and then Kevin Bacon as Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> what was the point of that? Like, he's just this guy that races Steve Martin to the cab, and then you never see him again. You think Kevin That's Bacon's right. going to come back, but then he doesn't. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's got to be Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Kevin yeah. Bacon. Love it. And now, does your movie take place in uh, in Europe, like in, in London or anything? Or does it stay in the States just with all these British actors and no one no one mentions why all these British people are somehow meeting each other? I mean, they're just Ewan McGregor and Richard Iowati. So, you know, it's yeah. not like it's like tons of British people. So it would stay in the States, uh, well, I think, because it's around Thanksgiving yeah. uh, and everything. So I don't want to change it too much. All these British people who don't celebrate Thanksgiving in November. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, that was a, that, that was a great, uh, great topic by Ira Bell. And I love this movie. Um, yeah. I honestly didn't know we were talking about this. Neil usually takes the, the Patreon questions. So I usually mm-hmm. go in relatively cold. And uh, I'm, I was very pleasantly surprised to see that this was a question. So uh, thank you very much, Ira Bell, for submitting that. Yeah, thank you so much, Ira Bell. And listeners, remember, if you want, you can support the show on Patreon. We're at the GameCube was cool. Uh, you can support us at the $5 or above level. You get your name read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic. Uh, so this is the last one for November, I believe. So we're rolling into December now. So if you're already a Patreon subscriber, uh, don't forget to send us your topic either on Instagram or Patreon. We'll find a way to fit them in next month. Mike, but I think now it's time for our favorite segment. What do you think? I think you're right, Neil. It's time for the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show and leave us a review, you can do so on any of the podcast service that you listen to us on, or you can write in on social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook. We will read them on the show, just like Mike, who wrote into us today. Jose Longoria wrote in uh, from Instagram, and he writes, Hi, guys. Jose here. I'm a huge fan. I've been listening since the Sunshine episode and have been hooked. Thank you for the content and for reaching out. So awesome. I hope to grow my cube collection with the many games you guys recommend. Jose is a prime example of what everybody out there should be doing. He started (laughs) on the Sunshine episode, which is what we have been saying for the last year and a bit. Uh, As much as we love those early episodes, Sunshine is where we start to hit our format. So love that. Uh, We're excited to see, or hopefully Jose follows up and lets us know how how his uh, how his collection grows, since Mike and I are also growing our collection as well. It's something all of the listeners of the show are probably doing. So we're excited to be on that journey with you. We're we're growing it one by one, sometimes twelve by twelve. That would be pretty sweet. I wow. could, I'd be down to grow it twelve by twelve. <laughs> You'd be done in like a week if you did that. That'd be amazing. Just just get all the all the the NCAA 
football yeah. games out of the way. Get all those FIFA games out of the way. But we're not talking about <laughs> FIFA today, Mike. We are going to be talking about Metroid Prime 2. Because, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 74 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. And we're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 336 games. You can visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we celebrated the GameCube's 20th birthday in person. We played Nightfire, we played Double Dash, we played Mario Tennis, we then played Metroid Prime 2. What a time. This week, we are looking back on the sequel of one of the greatest 3D Metroid games of all time, Metroid Prime 2 Echoes. So, Mike, uh, before we uh, get our listeners to join the show today, why don't we go back and uh, talk about our memories of Metroid as kids, which we did this a little bit on our Metroid episode, but we'll just rehash some old memories and talk a little bit about our memories of Metroid Prime 2. I'll let you get started. Uh, do you remember this game as a kid? Yeah, I, I do remember this game, and um, and good idea to kind of talk about Metroid again. It's been exactly a year since we talked about Metroid Prime 1, uh, so mm-hmm. you know it's time to rehash some of this stuff, and uh, it's sure. such a great series to talk about, and it's important. It's this, And the fact that we're still, we somehow are going to be getting new installments, we just got Dread very recently, mm-hmm. and I think last a year ago, we didn't even know Dread existed. And um, I was listening to a little bit of the episode uh, earlier today to kind of prepare, and I was like, "Wow, we were so we were so young. We didn't we we didn't know anything." About we were the world so stupid yet. a year ago, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Metroid Prime Two. Um, I honestly never played this game. I I knew about it. Obviously, I knew about this one and uh, three corruption. Is that what three mm-hmm. is? Yep, you got it. Okay, yes. So I know I know about those, but I personally enjoyed the two D Metroids a little bit more. Uh, and so I, and I kind of got introduced to Metroid in that way. So when Prime 2 came out, I didn't really want to get it, I guess. I didn't mm-hmm. have much, because I also wasn't really into Halo or things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I personally never got into Metroid Prime after the first one. Uh, mm-hmm. I obviously love Prime 1. It's a fantastic game, often cited as the best game for the GameCube. And I c- completely agree. Mm-hmm. But uh, Prime 2, I actually dove in and played it this week because you lent me your copy. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, it's a good game, mm-hmm. but it was honestly too hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> I got wrecked. Uh, and I know, and I watched a lot of reviews for this too and did some research. And I did find out that uh, it does take a while to to actually be able to progress in this game mm-hmm. because there is absolutely no hand-holding at the beginning where prime one does have quite a bit uh, yeah. uh quite a bit relatively to this i should say oh it's a um, lot compared to metroid prime 2 i went i went i went back and played some metroid prime just today just to kind of get get sharpened for this episode because i played metroid prime 2 and then i lent it to you and i thought okay i'm gonna spend some time now do some field research and see because i agree 100 percent with what you're saying metroid prime 2 is very unforgiving and i had to think like because i remember metroid Metroid Prime also being somewhat challenging, but no, like you play Metroid Prime and like your visor tells you when there's a save state nearby, it gives you hints on what to scan. There's health, mm. like health regenerates way faster from when you kill enemies. That was the big thing for me. Yeah. yeah like I died multiple times at the beginning of Metroid Prime 2, but then Constantly. like every enemy that you kill at the beginning of Metroid Prime, almost everything gives you either more health or additional missiles. Uh, so yeah, there, there, there's a huge difficulty spike with Metroid Prime 2. 
I like to think of this if if anyone out there for some reason has played the Souls games but hasn't played the Prime games. Mm. I like to think of Dark Souls as Prime One uh, and Demon Souls as um, Prime Two. Interesting. Uh, because for Demon Souls, it's very much the same way with health, where you're kind of always looking for uh, uh, ways to, I guess, uh, revive yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you kind of get stuck in a loop, you are screwed and you really can't progress. And I found mm-hmm. I, I found that with too, a lot with, with Echoes. Mm-hmm. And another thing, too, is that like just with progression uh, in save states with Prime 2 are so far apart compared to Prime 1. We'll talk about this a lot more when we have our callers come on, but I was playing Prime 2 one night, and I must have been playing for close to a half an hour uh, without finding a save state. I could just be dumb, and I might have been playing it wrong, but I was checking the map over and over again. I was nowhere near the one that I had found previously, and then I died because I, I hit a I hit like a small boss fight, and the boss killed me. Uh, and, yep. and this is very much a touchstone to old-school games where when you die... You go back to the start. There's no auto save. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, save when you open a door. So you have to go back to that save state that I started at a half an hour previously. And I was, I was a little bit frustrated. And I don't like to play games like that. I know the whole Dark Souls, Bloodborne genre of games is very popular for people for that very reason. They like that rush of knowing that if they die, they're going to lose all that progress. I don't play games for that reason. So mm-hmm. Metroid Prime Two does take a bit of a hit uh, in that sense, unfortunately. Uh, but Metroid Prime is one of the most interesting franchises or interesting series in video games for me because the first game rated so high. Like we had, we had not seen a Metroid game in eight years uh, between prime. I believe it was eight years between super Metroid and Metroid prime. Uh, It, it, Mm -hmm. uh, it was announced. It was going to be a 3d game. The critics were like, no, we want it to be 2d. This is a 2d series. And for years, retro was trying to sell this game that it's going to be amazing. It's going to bring Samus into the 21st century in 3d. And it came out and, you can read the reviews. It got nines, tens across the board. It's one of the greatest games on GameCube of all time. It's considered sometimes one of the greatest games of all time. I know that you have that mm-hmm. 1001 games to play before you die book ready and waiting. Uh, but, but then <laughs> after Prime came out, like Prime 2 came out and very little press, very little media towards it, very little fanfare. And then Prime 3 came out and even less than that. It's just really interesting to me just how well this game or how well Prime did and then just the the dip of of prime 2 it's really fascinating and and i i really don't understand it like other than the genre like i can understand that maybe some people bought prime thinking it was going to be like halo and then the hardcore gamers who know metroid who know video games loved it and they reviewed it and those reviews came out but the the mass market who want to play games metroidvania games are not real they're not they don't sell like gangbusters traditionally so i think once people got the sense of what this game is going to be about i think that hurt the sales of the franchise going forward i i definitely agree because with with metroid games i almost categorize them in the same way that i've seen a lot of articles about this recently uh about how people categorize a lot of new sci-fi movies like blade runner 2049 is a perfect example or arrival um both those movies specifically blade runner 2049 did not do very well box office wise Mm -hmm. uh really didn't even make its its cut back but amazing reviews uh uh, people loved it Uh, they thought it was great they thought it was uh, possibly even uh superior to what came before it Mm -hmm. and um i find this with metroid a bit too where metroid uh prime 2 echoes 
did get great reviews. There's nines and tens relatively, you know, across the board. Uh, but you're right, Neil, there was very little fanfare about it. Commercially did not sell very well. Only sold 800,000 copies, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I think 1.1 million worldwide was the actual total, 2.8 for Prime 1. So a huge dip there. Yes. And that's, it's just interesting to me because obviously then you have something like Halo, which completely takes over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, these two things are, are very similar. If you even want to compare Blade Runner to like Avengers or something yeah. uh, in like in space, you know, with like <laughs> futuristic stuff. It's it, there's similar ideas and similar uh, goals behind them, I guess, when they get put out. But uh, mm-hmm. sometimes it just one thing leads to another and uh, Halo takes off and Metroid doesn't for a number yeah. of reasons. Obviously, there are actual reasons for why this happened. We're going to go dive into that a little bit in this mm-hmm. episode. But It's kind of too bad. I kind of feel for Metroid, but I am a little happier this year because Metroid Dread exists. Yes. Yeah, we definitely were. We we definitely were spoiled this year to get that 2D Metroid Dread game, which I'm very excited to play. uh, Full transparency. I have not played it yet. You made a really good point about sci-fi, though. And sci-fi is such an interesting genre of movies. It's almost like rock of movies where someone says like, oh, it's a rock band. Oh, that's a rock song. And it's (laughs) it's that that means nothing, really. Like rock can mean ACDC. Or rock could mean like... Are there guitars in it? Yeah, (laughs) it just means that there's guitars and drums and like there's a singer who does verse chorus. And sci-fi, like I have this uh, debate with people all the time about like Star Wars being not science fiction, it's science fantasy. And uh, like a movie Mm. like, I'm thinking like Aliens or... Uh, Predator is like a very high action sci-fi movie. Uh, But then you watch another sci-fi quote unquote movie like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is frankly a very boring movie. Um, Yeah. It's but because it's 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 an amazing movie. Like it's really cool. My my dad loves that movie. My dad hasn't seen – I don't think – I think my dad has seen one Star Wars film, but he loves Close Encounters with the Third Kind. Like they're both technically sci-fi, but like they're not like – targeting the same audience like star wars is lightsaber battles and death stars blowing up and close encounters of the third kind is watching uh basically a married man's life fall apart because he's obsessed with aliens (laughs) like it's 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 coming it's cut from the same cloth but it's targeting completely different audiences and i think that that's what you see with halo being like star wars and metroid being like close encounters where it's a bit more of like a a thinking man's game the game does not beat the plot over your head over and over again you really have to dig deep and they're like the plot is good too it's like very There's so much to explore in this plot, uh, and watching uh, videos and watching reviews of it, like I was, I was stunned about how much extra plot they put into Echoes to really build this world even more. Even mm-hmm. though they had done so much world building in uh, the first one, yeah, they had. I was, I was going back. Like I said, I was going back this week, and Metroid Prime really is Super Metroid done in 3D. Uh, yes. they, they, they kind of did restart the series again, going back to star Wars. They basically did what, uh, uh, force awakens did with a new hope. Really. It, it's very similar. You've got the intro where you see Ridley and you know, you, you're escaping an exploding space station and then, you know, you lose all your powers. You have to get them all back. It really did feel like kind of almost like what Ocarina of time did with uh, Zelda, which is Ocarina of time is very similar to, um, a link to the past where it took the super Nintendo version and brought it to 3d prime did that with super Metroid. And now, Metroid Prime Echoes is almost like the Majora's Mask of the franchise where Retro Studios have this character, they have this franchise, now they want to take it in their own direction. Uh, they create new characters, new format for the game, there's cutscenes in it, there's new species of aliens and whatnot. Uh, Ridley is 
barely even in this game, not even referenced yeah. at all. Like Metroids are barely even in this game either. So, which is interesting because the game is called Metroid. But um, no, I'm a really, I'm really excited to talk about Metroid Prime Two with you today. Uh, and it, we're celebrating this year actually the 35th anniversary of Metroid the series because the first game came out in 1986, Mike. So Samus is 35 this year. Samus is 35. She's looking great. She's looking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad that you brought up Link to the Past, Neil, because. Funny enough, this game was heavily influenced by Link to the Past. Yeah. The uh, the theme of parallel worlds, which comes up a lot, obviously, in that game, is the main focus of Echoes. Uh, and the developers at Retro Studios actually sought a lot of advice from the producers of uh, of Zelda and A Link to the Past, which mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting. Yeah, the parallels the parallels are completely obvious. I don't know what it is with Nintendo and everybody wanting to do these dark worlds, but you're right. They did go to some ex-Link of Link to the Past developers, and I think one of the first things the Link to the Past team said to them was, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> just because it's incredibly hard as a game designer it to is. design a game that you're going to have to go through twice with changes. Uh, Symphony of the Night is another fantastic game. It seems like Dark Worlds, as cliche as they are in video games, when they're done right, those games, it, it, it just launches that game into like a next level of uh, like reviews and everything. Like you just think of Link to the Past, Symphony of the Night, Metroid Prime or Metroid, like just doing these Dark Worlds is it's tricky and it's risky. But uh, it, when it works out, it, it definitely works out really well. I agree. I agree, Neil. But I think it's time to introduce this great game. What do you think? Sounds good. Let's introduce the game and then we'll get some callers on and we'll uh, look back on some other memories. Metroid Prime 2 was released on November 15th, 2004. Uh, Our friends in Europe got it November 26th, 2004. And in Australia, they had to wait until December, December 2nd, 2004. The game was developed by Retro Studios. It's published by Nintendo. It's only on GameCube technically re-released on the Wii a few years later. This game rates a 9 out of 10, priced today at $90. Uh, just to put it into perspective, Metroid Prime is 45 bucks today. Uh, and Mike, you have my copy of Prime 2, and I think I might have paid 40 for it a couple years ago. So it has doubled. It's because of that hollow cover. It's because of that holographic <laughs> cover, man, that shadowless Metroid Prime. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, it's amazing. And the game uh, as a whole has sold 800,000 units. So not quite as good as Prime 1, which sold 1.5 million. Yeah. Yeah, which we talked about. So let's introduce our first caller. All right. And joining us today, the first guest on the show is Jason. And this is Jason's first appearance on the show. We're really excited to have him. So, of course, we have to ask him, Jason, did you own a GameCube back in the day? Oh, I was not one of the fortunate ones who owned a GameCube. However, I was one of those people who uh, had a very good friend who also wanted to get a system. And I believe it was the first Xbox that came out around the same time as the GameCube. Mm-hmm. And we kind of collectively decided that we would, each of us would buy a system. We sort of kind of flipped a coin. He got GameCube. I got Xbox. I think I got the short end of the stick, <laughs> yep. um, but that's okay. And so I would buy games for the GameCube and I would go to his house to play them. Occasionally we would change systems or trade systems for some time. Again, I never really wanted to give the GameCube back because it was significantly better than the Xbox, but c'est la vie. <laughs> and you you know that that opinion is going to go down very well here because we totally agree with that. Uh, Xbox was released at the same week, actually, as GameCube in November of 2001. And it just so happens that Jason shares the same birthday as the GameCube, November 18th. So, uh, so happy birthday to you, Jason. Thank you very much. I also should say the I uh, don't believe the GameCube ever suffered from some mysterious red ring of death, which I remember my Xbox suffering from. Yes. Uh, so that also is a hats off to Nintendo for that. Exactly. Did your original Xbox suffer the red ring of death? Because that, that's an Xbox 360 problem. 
I did have an Xbox 360 as well, so it could be either or. Okay, <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know. I did it. Did it have that? I'm not sure. I just I do I do recall the Xbox dying, and that's why I got a 360. So mm. it's very possible that the Xbox 360 died as well. Yeah. That, that, e- either way, the GameCube did not die. The GameCube actually didn't have a yeah. lot of hardware problems. Uh, no. And a lot of that was due to the fact that it was a, a direct su- successor to N64, which did have a lot of hardware problems yeah. and controller <laughs> problems uh, because people didn't have three hands. But uh, we'll talk about that many other times during this podcast. Uh, so let's let's uh, start with the fact that uh, we we're talking about Metroid today. And Jason, what are your earliest memories of just Metroid the series? Oh, um, so probably um, it would have been, I can't recall, it's been, this is a long time ago now. So, uh, <laughs> but I, from what I recall, the original, I believe it was Metroid and I very possibly could have played it on my Game Boy, may have been one that I played. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do recall uh, the 2D side scroll um, left mm-hmm. to right. And basically every time you'd go to like the next screen, you know, it would take that second or two for the entire screen to swap over um and uh, to be honest i my very most memorable memories are being the little ball the little morph ball um climbing up the walls i believe it was with something called a spider ball maybe Mm -hmm. is what it was called uh and i remember bombs so those were all like the, the the three biggest elements of it I also distinctively remember the very first day that I remembered or, or learned, I guess, that Samus was in fact a woman, yes. not a man, um, which was mind blowing for me as a child because I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I just assumed that it was a man the whole time, but nope, it's a woman. Of course. That was a huge deal back in the day. And now did you yeah. jump from the NES version of Metroid, like the 8-bit? It, it did get re-released on Game Boy Advance, I believe. So you're right. You might have played the original Metroid. Did you jump from that to Metroid Prime? Because that's huge. No. So I, I did play it on... Yo, so Super Metroid. I do recall playing Super Metroid, which I remember that one. And then I did jump to Metroid Prime, which that was the one that I think that the first person one. That's right. That was the one that started to really get very difficult. I mean, the <laughs> yes. game was always hard, but it, it was like like exponentially more difficult. And then, and then you arrived on Metroid Prime 2 Echoes, which is the arguably the most difficult Metroid game in the entire series. Did you get a chance when you picked this game up back in the day? Did you beat it? Because like we we struggled to find people who beat the game, let alone 100% of <laughs> the game. Yeah, I will tell you this much. From what I recall, I actually had to refresh my memory on almost all the Metroid games I played. And I do not recall beating very many of them, if any of them. <laughs> I do recall them being... Very difficult um, in one of those games that I believe you needed a walkthrough to basically get through the game. And even with that was challenging. What What's funny is that I played Metroid Prime, the original Metroid Prime, and I was at the final boss fight, just going to the first game here. Uh, the final boss fight, spoilers, is Ridley. And uh, or I guess it's actually the Metroid Prime as you fight towards the very end. But it was one part of that boss fight that I was stuck on and I was on the verge of tears because it was so damn hard. And I had been playing this game for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I had been playing this boss fight all weekend over and over and over again. Uh, and like my parents were having a dinner party in the other room and I was like screaming, like, like just being so frustrated on the verge of tears. And uh, what's sad about that story is that I was 23 years old. <laughs> That's, you know, I feel like I should have at this age. It would be a lot... Uh, maybe it would be more enjoyable. Probably not. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. I, I do not know. The boss I honestly think not... it would be more frustrating at this age because when you're a kid, I was talking to Jason off- offline about this, but um, when we were kids playing Majora's Mask, even like 
we would get a walkthrough or something, but I could beat Majora's Mask a lot easier than I could as a 25-year-old when I went back and played Majora's Mask, because that game is so hard and frustrating uh, when you're playing it, uh, because with, I think no it's... Guide. No, yeah. no guide. No guide, but you're, you're, we're also spoiled by a lot of games hold your hand, especially mm -hmm. AAA, yes. like, the big games. They are very hand-holding. They are, uh, you know, making sure that you, you get the story, you get whatever you're coming there for, and the difficulty levels are generally not too crazy like crazy spikes i should say but then something like metroid comes along and really just punishes you for any mistake that you <laughs> yeah. make and and i can't think of many games other than like the soul series which we said before is but it's like deliberately made to do that this is this and maybe cuphead are like the only games that i can think <laughs> of in the last 15 20 years that really deliberately punish you and you hate them for it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very much. I do recall you. You got a little preamble of a story. The game started out quick. There wasn't like a huge, you know, not like a Final Fantasy level video story yeah. trying to get you where things are going. It was very quick and in, and you're just like go, mm -hmm. and you were like, where am I going? What am I doing? What's the purpose? Um, I do right. recall that in almost every um, Metroid game I played. And when you actually got and unlocked something, it was like really quite exciting because like you you. You think you did something right. <laughs> yeah. Whether you did it in the right order or not. That's another that's a whole other story. But you did something. <laughs> it's also a huge change or a huge shift in the Metroid series where with Metroid Prime 2, uh you, you start off the game, like you said, very quick with a lot of enemies that are trying to kill you. You're on this alien planet where you've got this distress beacon that you're trying to find. And then all of a sudden you're you get uh, after a little while after fighting some enemies you meet this new alien species guy who talks to you and tells you a little bit about the story and this is the first time in a Metroid game where uh, you have kind of like an ally on the planet with you because Metroid games are a lot like Alien they're very much based on the isolation aspect of exploring space and Samus is always by herself uh, but then you meet uh, you meet some characters in this game that that help you and then in uh, other M, which we won't talk too much about, that goes way overboard where you meet the whole Federation force and, and people who talk to you a ton too. Uh, so what did you think about Metroid Prime 2 with all of the cutscenes? Did you feel like it, it kind of it shifted too much away from the what Metroid is all about or did you like it? No, I don't think I don't think it really cut cut away. I'm very um, I'm very much a firm believer that um, the game developers, for the most part, are trying to tell you a story in some way. Mm. Um, that's like how I approach every game. And there are going to be games that are not exactly to my liking. And that's totally <laughs> cool. I, I, I do enjoy more description on what's happening. And it'll give you a, a, almost like a, I like to call them like a moment to breathe. Um, so it's like when someone else is talking to you and you're not fearing that you're going to have to attempt to kill that thing, whatever's talking to you, I, I enjoy that. So I, I, I like more, I like it more when there's a little bit more handhold, like, let me tell you what you're kind of supposed to do in general terms. Here's how you do it. Um, I, I enjoy that significantly more. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I prefer to never have to open up a walkthrough or to, um, I mean, now you would never, very rare, I shouldn't say never, very rare would you go purchase a walkthrough. I would like to not have to search Google to figure out how to do something. That's kind of like my like baseline for a game. I would like to be able to figure it out. And if I have to use Google, I feel like maybe there's something I'm either missing or maybe the game might need a little help. Yeah, I think sometimes when I use Google, it's like, it's like half and half. It's, it's I'm stupid 
and I just <laughs> I just can't find whatever I'm looking for. Yeah. Or yeah. the game is poorly designed. Uh, and uh, like I found that a lot with uh, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, the the Star Wars game that came out a couple of years ago. Um, I found myself having to actually Google things to figure out what the hell I was supposed to do, which should not happen in like an yeah. EA produced like hand holding game, anyways. And there are just like some weird design choices. So in one of those, I think like that's not a great way to do it but like metroid echoes even though i think it punishes you so much and and i have to look at a guide to figure out what the hell i'm doing i still i still kind of like how they design stuff because of just the fact that there is a lot of that exploration aspect and like you said jason when you find something when you like do something right for once you're like oh my god this is amazing like <laughs> it's it's so nice that feeling yeah i yeah, I agree. It's a callback to old school games where like you really just have to sit down and play this game for hours and hours. And either with a guide on Google or without one, uh, you can use Google as a guide. And that, that way you'll beat the game quicker, which for you know people like us who we have full-time jobs, we have responsibilities, maybe we want to get through it faster. But if you're a kid and you're a bit younger and you just want to explore, explore this world, uh, it is super satisfying when you finally get a new beam or a new missile in this game. And then you finally find that that ball track that you needed or, or something else that like on the world that, oh, now I've unlocked this completely new area. And now I found this new boss to fight. Oh, and he killed me. And now I'm back at the old save spot again. And now you have to do it all over again. Uh, some people, oh, some no. people find that's completely relatable. Some people find that really exhilarating and fun. Uh, other people like myself <laughs> no. who like playing the game for 45 <laughs> minutes and then you get kicked back to where you were. I don't find that particularly fun. So Jason, I got to ask you like in Metroid in Zelda in Mario and all of these games, we love to talk about boss fights. Uh, what do you think about the boss fights in prime Two? the obvious answer or the obvious choice is dark Samus who you fight on multiple occasions. Uh, she or he, or this clone has different suits and power-ups and whatnot the final one being some like sky temple one but there's also some really neat aliens in there too uh, completely separate from metroids or ridley's uh, are there any that specifically stand out to you that you played against yeah so i i the one i i distinctively remember because i found it extraordinarily difficult and only because it was the very first boss in the game which shouldn't be difficult but i remember it being very difficult which i think was either like some sort of queen, I don't know, maybe Parasite Queen, maybe? Insect Queen, something Shut along up. those lines. I think that's a yu I distinctly... <laughs> I, I, it was something along a... I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yes, it was some sort of thing like that. It was... But it was extraordinarily frustrating because it was one of those that you got to where you needed to get to. And if you died, you had to go back and walk through a bunch of screens and go do it again. A little, a touch frustrating, but I, I, I distinctively recall that one and it was enjoyable once you beat it because <laughs> yeah. it was like, all right, I did this. And then knowing that you really haven't made very much progress in the game at that point, because no. there's like uh, the ample, I think it was probably, I'm going to say, if you were actually playing the game, maybe half an hour, 20 minutes into playing the game successfully, like not, you know, going mindlessly back and forth. Uh, I would say that's probably the one that sticks in my head the most. Have you played other Metroid games since Echoes? Echoes obviously takes a very different turn in the Metroid series, but we kind of come back a bit with Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, and then we also have uh, Other M, Federation Force, those games which were reviewed pretty poorly, and then now we just got Metroid Dread. So have you played any of them, or do you plan on playing any of them? Uh, 
I did play Metroid. I have played Metroid Dread. Um, it's probably the closest one. A lot of the Metroid uh, games, I was very bad. In, I shouldn't say very bad. I guess I was very, a good student in university. And I didn't really <laughs> have any game systems with me in university. Yeah. Um, so I really only ever played Smash Bros. So a lot of these, a lot of the Metroid games, kind of, I think, three and well, four is coming out next year or whenever it's coming, whenever they decided to actually release it. Uh, I believe that came, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I believe that one came out while I was in university to not play. But I have played Metroid Dread recently. Um, nice. it's, I, 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 I enjoy it. Um, it is a little bit of a, uh, kind of like an interesting, almost like a way back to like the original side scroll sort of, yeah, a bit of a um, but I enjoy it. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. I like it. I feel like that's been the uh, popular consensus with that game is just that since we've had so many amazing Metroidvania indie games, frankly, like uh, uh, Axiom Verge and uh, Hollow Knight and Guacamelee, uh, when you finally get these games that did it so well back in the day and were kind of the pioneers, like Metroid and Castlevania, which is where that term comes from, uh, it seems like that they're almost like, yeah, they're they're good. They do what they do what Metroidvanias are supposed to do, and that's yeah. kind of it. And um, a lot of the debate around Metroid Dread has been like, is it worth $60 these days? Like when you see Metroid up against God of War, uh, that's that's for a whole other topic completely. But uh, I haven't really been swayed at all either way. Like I still want to pick it up. I love the 2D Metroid games, so I'm excited to play it at some point. I do just want to be able to sit down and play it uh, with full focus and December and November are really busy months for me. So uh, I'm excited. There's a great donkey review on it as well, which is hilarious, but <laughs> uh, have to jump on that in the new year probably. It is. It is good. I will. I. I will definitely say. Um. There is a like. You do have. Um. If you have like a heart condition, you probably don't want to play the game. Um. When those. When those things. The. Um. No. Not. Not called. They're not bots. I forget. The what they're Emmys. E M M I S. That's it. Yeah. When those things start targeting you and chasing you, it. It's. It's. Um. It's, it's like sweat inducing. Uh, it's, it's a lot. It's and I'm and I'm like and I'm 34 and I'm like oh my heart's racing. I'm like oh, oh gotta get away. I'm like gotta get away. <laughs> Super oh, exciting. Awesome. Yeah, but it's good. It's it's a it's a great. Well, game. Neil, I have the 1001 video game book in my hand, and of course, Metroid Prime 2 Echoes is in 1001 video games you must play before you die. Uh, and Jason might die after he plays Dread because <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. heart rate going Very up. Very possible. <laughs> protect your heart. Protect your heart. Mike, what does 1001 video games say about uh, one, of this, one of the beloved GameCube titles, Metroid Prime 2 Echoes? After Metroid Prime had proved the 3D adventures of Samus could be as evocative and twisting as their 2D incarnations, Retro Studios got ambitious. The concept of Metroid Prime 2 Echoes was to out Nintendo Nintendo. Filching its key idea from A Link to the Past, Metroid Prime 2 is set in two worlds, one of light, one of dark. A feature that is responsible for most of the game's basic weapons and enemies, its biggest successes and the failures of design that almost spoil it. The idea of light and dark is the focus of the game's narrative, and the plot that unfolds on Dark Aether is an intricate and coherent saga that stands as one of Metroid's finest, even putting the space pirates and Metroids on the back burner. Not totally, of course. And that pretentious subtitle actually justifies itself. This is a game of echoes. Did I see that corridor before? Is that an object in the dark world too? Where have I seen that glyph? That's why, despite the flaws, it's worth chasing the echoes of Metroid Prime 2 down to their source. That's actually something that we haven't talked about yet, is the fact that when you do stuff on the dark world, uh, it like the same thing happens on the light world. Like if you pull a switch or something uh, to change a platform, I thought that was a really, really cool element. Yeah, 
it's amazing. And it's a lot like what they did in Link to the Past, like we talked about with the light and the dark world and even games like Ocarina of Time, like how things in the past affect the things in the future. I think it's an amazing uh, thing to include in video games that's not done enough because it's incredibly hard to do. Like that's very hard to think about as a game yeah. developer. Something you do in one world affects what you do in another. Um, I, I, I think it's great. Like it's hard to do right though. And the team did a great job doing that. Uh, so... Yeah, well yeah. done. I mean, even after re- even after reading about this game, like a whole bunch, like even in that book, like it's incredibly hard to know what's going on for me. Like the plot <laughs> of this game is so obtuse. There is a timeline, believe it or not, between the games. Uh, Samus is not getting any older, though. So that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Jason, for coming on today. We really appreciate having you and we hope to see you again very soon. Yes. No, thank you. It was my pleasure. And uh, I, I hope I can add some insights into some future games. Of course, of course. <laughs> cool. Yeah, look forward to having you back. Uh, until then, take care, man. Cool. Bye-bye. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you, Jason. Happy birthday, of course, uh, to you and the GameCube. And to Metroid Prime uh, Echoes, which is also turning well, which is also turning 17, which is turning half the age of Jason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. It's great to have a Metroid fan come on. Uh, this is a sentimental game in the Metroid universe. Uh Tons of people love it. I mean, Metroid Prime is the obvious choice for so many people, but Prime 2 has a big cult following, and uh, it's really fun to talk to people who have played the older games and some people who have played the newer games. I still have not met a person who's a fan of Federation Force, um, but maybe this next uh, caller that we have coming on, Mike, will uh, will be a fan. Yeah, maybe. Uh, who's joining us today, Neil? All right, so joining us today is our next caller, and uh, Mike, this is an interesting one because we have another GameCube enthusiast joining us today. Uh, They're on Instagram, they're on YouTube, Twitter, all the rest, uh, going by the name of GameCube Galaxy. Joining us today is Marcello. We want to pick your brain a little bit about the GameCube in general. We just celebrated its 20th anniversary. Uh, You're a huge GameCube enthusiast like we are. Uh, So uh, before we do, though, we got to ask, did you own a GameCube back in the day when it first came out in 2001? So yes, uh, I did get a GameCube on Christmas of 2001, actually. I did get the original, I got the jet black color, um, and it, and that was definitely the route I wanted to go. I mean, I wish the platinum color came out earlier, because if that came out first, um, that was probably the one I would have gotten, uh, but I do like the jet black one. It definitely still looks sleek, no matter how you slice it. It, it does. I'm a big fan of the indigo purple. Mike loves the spice orange one. We don't own the indigo silver between the two of us. We have black and purple ones. Did you eventually get the uh, the silver GameCube? I did not. Um, I actually still am rocking my original 2001 GameCube uh, that I'm using for the channel specifically as well. So all on original hardware, 20 years old and still going. Sweet. Love that. That's incredible. So why the GameCube? What what got you into this console so much? Have you been interested in it ever since 2001? Or did you kind of have like a resurgence with it like Mike and I did? So the GameCube, I've always loved since it was coming out. I remember specifically in 2001, when I remember I was in middle school, all my friends would gather up at the lunch table looking at like Game Pro and Nintendo Power. And we would actually all be debating as to like which console to get. And like the PS2 was already out for about about less than a year and but everybody was getting ready for like metal gear solid 2 and people were getting psyched for gta 3 but meanwhile i was like well that's great but like i really want the gamecube like there's so many great looking games on here luigi's mansion and star wars rogue leader and wave race and i'm like you know super smash brothers melee i'm like for a launch lineup like this is definitely the route to go and um 
And there were a few people in my group that were looking at the original Xbox, but like I remember the GameCube just stood out. And I've always been a Nintendo fan. I grew up with the NES. Um, shockingly, never had a Super Nintendo. Uh, my brother and I ended up getting a Sega Genesis during the 16-bit era. Mm. Um, you bet on the wrong yeah, horse there. But, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but everywhere we went with those like cousins' houses, friends' houses, they all had Super Nintendo. So it was like I basically got my fill, uh, which was awesome. But then when the 32-bit and 64-bit era started, uh, we got an N64, and that was our main console. Uh, we did not have a PS1. And since the 64, I remember, like, just so many stellar games, and then I just could not wait for the GameCube. I could not wait for the successor to the N64. And honestly, just over the years, I've been collecting again on the GameCube. Uh, about five years ago, I started collecting again for the GameCube. And... When I finally saw that this company, Eon, released that GCHD adapter for it, that's what gave me a big resurgence for the GameCube. So once I got that, just being able to play the games in 480p with no lag inputs, uh, it was like, all right, this is this is awesome. Like this is this is a nice way to revitalize my original GameCube. And, and since then, I started just getting really really back into it. And since then realistically i was always wanting to see a channel for the gamecube i felt like it was a console that never got enough recognition back in the day and it seems like just now recently a lot more people are starting to look at it but that's why i felt like now was the best time for me to do a channel that was dedicated for the console and covering anything and everything about the system itself <laughs> number one GameCube's right here. <laughs> it's a it's it's a match made in heaven. I love that. Yeah, 2020 was a great year for the GameCube. It felt like it was just, it was as big as it was in 2001. Like everybody was talking about it. It was getting like YouTube videos were being made around it. I think Animal Crossing had a big had a big impact on it as well last year. So really excited to see where this console goes in the future and where uh, franchises on the console go into the future, like Metroid Prime, which is the game that we're talking about today. That's right. Yeah. So let's uh, let's dive into Metroid Prime 2 Echoes. Uh, Marcello, what do you remember about playing this game for the first time? So Metroid Prime Echoes, I remember I actually didn't play it at launch. It was probably about almost a year after it came out. Mm -hmm. I finally got a copy. And, you know, I remember just kind of diving into it, hoping it was just going to be a little bit more of the same, just with like some, maybe some more refinements to the first game. And, and that's essentially what it was. I mean, while I still preferred Metroid Prime 1 uh, just a little bit more, Metroid Prime 2 is it was just an awesome game overall. And one of the aspects that I actually loved, which this might be a, uh, a debatable aspect or unpopular opinion for some people, was surprisingly is actually it's multiplayer. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the campaign. Don't get me wrong. But I remember the multiplayer, I would play that with a few friends of mine, and we actually had a lot of fun playing that. And it was a shame that, like, it was only in that game and they never brought it back into Metroid Prime 3 later on. No, I think I think this is one of the only ones with multiplayer in it, other than, I'd like, the DS one might have had some multiplayer. That's true, yes. Metroid Prime Hunters, I think, did have multiplayer in it. So th was this, like, kind of, like, this is kind of like your golden eye then, no? Like, did you guys get together and play that the same way people got together to play, like, for Mike and I? Ours was Nightfire. Did you guys have, like, late-night parties playing Metroid Prime 2? Not so much as, like, I wouldn't call it, it was, I wouldn't say it was our golden eye. Uh, I would say it was actually just something that was different for us to play when we weren't playing like Time Splitters 2 or um, or Nightfire, like you guys said, which is another fantastic multiplayer game. Uh, it, it was just a nice change of pace. But 
Yeah, I mean, that, that was just in terms of the multiplayer itself, for sure. The The campaign was really cool, though, uh, going between the uh, the dark and light aether. Did you ever find yourself getting stuck in uh, in Echoes, though? Because like it is a lot more of an obtuse game compared to Prime 1, which you said you played. And I am much more of a Prime 1 fan. And I actually, above all else, I prefer the 2D Metroid games, personally, just because I'm a bit dumb when it comes to 3D games. And uh, when the maps are massive and there's a lot of backtracking, I'm prone to get lost. <laughs> um, so did you find the difficulty curve of Prime 2 to be a little bit off-putting, or did you actually embrace it? So I embrace, as far as combat difficulty, I embraced it. Um, I remember some people were saying that, for example, I think it was the Boost Guardian. A lot of people were complaining about mm -hmm. as a difficult boss. And I, I think that got tweaked in the trilogy on the Wii. Did. Um, yeah. I didn't mind the steeper difficulty of the combat. The exploration and backtracking, yeah, it was a bit much. There were I did find myself more like with a question mark as to like where to go next or what yeah. I should go back to versus the first game. Um, but yeah, that, I will say I think it was just a little bit too... Uh, misguided on where to go next and that that's i mean that's that's the problem that we've talked about a while already on this uh, on the show the backtracking the i mean all metroid games have it but this one there was some parts that were seemed a little excessive and obviously there was a difficulty but um what i want to talk about a little bit here is just the development of this game which i thought was just a super interesting history i don't know i don't know if you guys know this at all but retro nintendo did not get along well in this development cycle Oh, I didn't know that. I could kind of get that sense there just with the uh, limited amount of time that they were given to develop it. Yes, mm -hmm. and that, that's kind of what it was where uh, Retro wanted this to come out in 2005. Nintendo uh, said that they have to meet the Christmas deadline of 2004. So a couple things were taken off because of this. There was a couple of bosses, uh, extra features, and a hidden version of Super Metroid uh, was oh. also canceled uh, for lack of time. Uh, of course, Prime has the... It's got the hidden version of the NES one, right, Neil? Yeah, original Metroid is in Prime 1, yeah. and they did have plans to put Super Metroid in Prime 2, back when you could hide old games in new games, which <laughs> was a sweet time to be alive. Uh, yeah, they had to cut that out. And I think you can kind of tell that with, like, when you look at the list of bosses in, in Prime 2, you see a lot of, like, repeated assets, like a lot of these Ing characters with giant swords for knives for hands and a lot of worm bosses and then you fight dark samus several times i'm assuming that they cut those bosses out and kind of just recycled those mm -hmm. bosses for for mm -hmm. later boss fights yeah a lot of it too was just uh re retro had their own idea of where metroid should go now and nintendo being nintendo they, they very they they're all about safeguarding their property and their brand identity uh of course in the gamecube era as you know, Marcello, this was the mm -hmm. one of the first times and last times that Nintendo really tried to go out of their comfort zone uh, in terms yes. of what they wanted to develop and the, what they wanted to do. So they did let Retro do their own thing for uh, Echoes a uh, bit begrudgingly because they didn't love what they were doing with it. And that's why when the re-release version came out, uh, the trilogy for the Wii, uh, Nintendo ended up going in themselves and tweaking a lot of the stuff. It was not Retro Studios who did any of the, the new tweaks. That was uh, Nintendo EAD uh, doing that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that Metro Prime 2 is definitely the weakest of the trilogy, without question. And like you guys said, and, and it, I guess it's evident because if they were having issues with the development cycle and it... Thinking about it now, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, it, it just felt less refined. It felt less cohesive. It felt less polished in the sense of just fine-tuning the difficulties. And hence why we saw in like the Metroid Prime trilogy, they specifically fine-tuned that one a little bit more. 
um, in terms of difficulty and things like that, because I think they, I guess they lacked that time because Nintendo wanted them to get it out by holiday. And uh, yeah, that's interesting. Cause I, and then I see like Metroid Prime three as like almost like their swan song is like, this is what, we, this is what our original vision is. This is what we wanted to make <laughs> later on without much interference. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that as well. And going back to the development uh, of the actual game, Neil, you might not already have this down or know about this and want to talk about it, but the marketing for this game was really, really interesting. Yeah, it was so cool. Like they developed their own websites for just for this game alone. Like they put up websites as if that they were kind of from the dark planets and different planets and whatnot. And in 2004, that's like, that's pretty cool to do. People weren't doing that at that time. Like really, really pushing viral marketing in 2004, 2003. It's kind of like when a developer these days make like an app for a game. I guess that's kind of the best way to kind of have a comparison with today or like they set up a a Snapchat or not a Snapchat account, but like a TikTok account for a game. I really can't think of anything similar to it, but it is a very strange thing to do to set up all of these websites, countdowns and everything. It was a very online focused game, which is funny because the game has, <laughs> it would have been kind of cool as if they had like an online feature announced for it, which I bet that if they had more time and this game was on a console that supported online, I bet uh, the the multiplayer mode that Marcello liked playing, I bet that in a perfect world, if they had it their way, they would have made that an online shooter like what Halo was doing oh, at the sure. time. Mm-hmm. But just to say, like, we, we said that this is the weakest game in the trilogy, I, I feel like that's unfair against it because it's the weakest of three amazing games. Like, Prime 2 is still right. a very, very polished game. Yes. The game, the gameplay is well done. I was playing this game on the couch a couple nights ago and my girlfriend came in and she thought it was a new game, like a game from 17 <laughs> years ago. Just, it looks beautiful. Like, the, the graphics in this and, and it just it really blows me away playing it because obviously... Uh, and you have too, Marcello, have have seen a lot of not great games for the GameCube in our past year mm-hmm. and a half now of, of doing this podcast. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I think of like Spirits and Spells, which <laughs> you and, and we both covered uh, a couple weeks ago for Halloween. Uh, you know, most of these games don't look good anymore because they were made in, you know, the early 2000s. Right. Uh, it was that blocky, polygonal time. But the GameCube does come out with some amazing looking gems. Sunshine is mm-hmm. one of them with those water textures. And of course, Metro Prime Echoes just looks fantastic today. I was also super impressed, even when we were streaming it, because um, we went from Nightfire to Double Dash to Mario Power Tennis, which are all, you know, look fine. Uh, but then, you know, we play Echoes and we're like, wow, this. Yeah. This game basically looks like HD at this point. And right before this podcast, actually, I was actually sitting down with Metro Prime 2 Echoes just for a little bit, just to kind of refresh how it looked and just kind of get back into it. And yeah, to this day, I'm like, wow, this was basically pushing what the GameCube could do. Yes. Um, it, It still impresses me what Retro Studios did in terms of their art direction and their engine. And just the it's a game that runs at 60 frames locked and nothing ever dips. And there's yep. so much detail and so much excellent lighting. And it's just, it really is an achievement in itself, just from a technical perspective. It absolutely is, right? Like there's, you know, the game has its flaws for sure. But uh, when you boot it up and play it again, you're like, wow, this 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 game deserves any hype it gets. I'm really interested in how many studios outside of Nintendo, like Nintendo didn't develop this game, Retro Studios did. And they harnessed the power of GameCube magnificently with Metroid Prime and Prime 2. And then another developer that comes to mind is Factor 5 mm-hmm. with uh, Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2, which yes. is another day one game that 
really like games that came out in 2005 2006 did not look anywhere close to something as good as rogue squadron 2 uh, i even think of a game like ikaruga that looked fantastic there were very few games that nintendo actually developed that i feel really harnessed the power of the gamecube like not many of them did other than maybe like melee i would think would be one like sunshine is a good example but like the mario parties don't the mario sports games don't look like incredible they look like mario games but the third party development on gamecube was or i guess second party would be what you'd call it was really top notch in this generation yeah i agree especially with when you mentioned about factor five because uh, I just released my um, GameCube 20th anniversary retrospective video, and I covered all 20 launch window titles, the 12 launch day games and eight that came out afterwards prior to the holiday season. And every time I pop in Rogue Leader, it blows my mind what Factor 5 did with that game in terms of visuals. Because in, in 2001, yeah, insane. and it's like... You have like something like Star Wars Squadrons nowadays, and I'm like, I'm not gonna lie, I think Rogue Leader still looks better than that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and it's like hundred percent. Like I see that. I'm like, we gotta like Nintendo needs to like buy back five, Factor Five because from what I understand, Factor Five actually formed again. They made one of the best Star Wars anything from the 2000s. Like we're we like the prequels enough, we're very nostalgic for them because they came out when we were kids, and we love lightsaber battles. And I'm a big fan of the pod racing game, but really like this this. Rogue Squadron 2 is like through and through it's like the unofficial fourth Star Wars movie um, it, it's got all like the original voice actors it's got incredible music and uh, just like shifting it over to Metroid again like it's it's in the same vein where it's a sci-fi game it's not the same level of uh, action as a Star Wars game but if I feel like like space games on GameCube looked so damn good like all of them like I can't think of too many bad looking ones that we've covered like it seems like everyone that tried to go for a sci-fi theme uh, knocked it out of the park. The GameCube was made to make water physics and uh, space, apparently. <laughs> yeah, honestly. And, and that's the thing. It's like the GameCube, I look at a lot of the games, and Metroid Prime is definitely a key factor. This is the lighting. And I feel like the GameCube did lighting better, far better than the PS2 could. Very advanced lighting systems that they had. And like mm -hmm. you saw Rogue Leader, and you saw Luigi's Mansion, then you saw Metroid Prime 1 and 2. And it's just like you could see that it was almost like a whole next-gen yeah. Aside, like it was almost like it's its own generation in a sense compared to the PS2. Oh, yeah. Now, would you would you rather see going forward with Metroid Prime? Would you would you like to see like a remastered collection on Switch or would you rather see it? Uh, would you rather see whatever Metroid Prime 4 is going to be? Do you think that do you think that that game is ever going to even come out? <laughs> so as as much as I would love to see a Metroid Prime trilogy re-re-released <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would say i'm more curious to see a metro prime 4 and like we know it's in development we knew that namco was behind the development for about almost two years and they scrapped it retro studios got back on board and you know it's interesting you mentioned about how they had this like rough history with metroid prime 2 and i now you look at how many years this game is in development now with under retro studios and it's like i wonder if behind the doors they're like listen we're gonna make it but you're not gonna rush us and that's the thing, Retro Studios, they don't put out yeah. many games. Like they only and they make sure that their games are completely fine-tuned and that they're really just top notch and to a certain standard. Uh, and you saw that in like even like the Donkey Kong Country games that came out pro uh, you know in the last couple of years. They're really good. Honestly, Metroid Prime yeah. Metroid <laughs> Prime 4, I'm going to say we're gonna see it. We're gonna see it on the Switch. They're going to do a. I'm calling it now. They're going to do a Switch Pro, and that'll be the title 
that launches alongside it, much like Metroid Dread did with the OLED model to showcase the power of, of Switch Pro. I love that. I love that prediction. I hope that happens. Yeah, I, I really can see that happening. That or if if there is going to be a successor to the Switch, it'll be like Breath of the Wild where they'll release it simultaneously on two consoles. I hope you're right about mm-hmm. that, but I hope that they don't do what the 3DS did where they make like a new console and then games that are exclusive for it. Um, but I, I think that they kind of learned mm-hmm. their lesson with 3DS. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they're going to do anything like that again, but I love the idea of making Metroid kind of be the uh, like the like the demo for the console to show what it can do for power because it, it has been for almost every single console that it's been on. You think SNES, you think Super Metroid, you think GameCube, you think Metroid Prime. Uh, so it'd be mm-hmm. great to kind of tie Switch to that. It'd be really nice, actually. Love that. Yeah, I hope that happens. Uh, but until then, we have Metroid Prime 2 Echoes, which is still a great game. Uh, we definitely, well, we're going to talk about later in the episode if you should pick it up or not. But um, uh, Marcello, uh, if you would like to plug your YouTube channel, that is fantastic. Please, this is your time to do so. Go ahead. All right. So guys, if you love the GameCube, uh, I do, like I said, I do have a channel, have Excuse me. I do have a channel called GameCube Galaxy. It's youtube.com slash GameCube Galaxy. Um, I basically try to post a video every Sunday around 7 a.m. Eastern time. And I try to cover a variety of things, whether it's topic-based videos, top tens, reviews on GameCube games. Uh, And my thing is just trying to give the GameCube a fair chance at people learning about the console that may have missed it or for people to relive memories. So, um, you know, I hope you guys check it out. Hope you enjoy it. He basically does what we do, but on YouTube. So, I mean... Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. <laughs> really glad that we could meet. Like, uh, this is the type of thing that we would never have, you know, met you, obviously, without the GameCube. So, 20 years later, the GameCube is continuing to uh, to forge new friendships here on the internet. So, please keep up the great work. We look forward to seeing what you do. If you ever want us to, to join one of your videos, let us know. And likewise, uh, you're welcome back here anytime. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. All right, take care, man. See you later. Take care. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you very much, Marcello, uh, host of GameCube Galaxy on YouTube. Uh, Great channel, and I'm so glad that someone else exists out there who (laughs) loves the GameCube as much as us and dedicated an entire platform to it. Yeah, and like uh, as much as like our immediate family and friends think like we're like the geniuses of GameCube, there's people out there who know so much more about yeah. games than we do. And uh, I feel kind of embarrassed. Like people watched us play games last week on Twitch and like, you could tell I'm not, I'm not great at video games. I'll never admit to being great at any video game. Like that's why I never talk smack when we play Smash Bros. Cause like, I know I'm, I'm good at best at most games. I'm good at um, Yoshi. So, <laughs> I'm good at Yoshi on Smash Bros. And that, that I'm confident with Yoshi. on. Smash. Confident Yoshi should be like, like your epitaph or like it's or it should be like your <laughs> or even like your linkedin bio should be yeah. real confident yoshi it kind of tells you everything Yo- you need to know about you you know yeah, yeah confident yoshi and i work well in a team that's what it says <laughs> on my linkedin <laughs> but see yoshi well, yoshi works well as a team he's got all the other yoshis around him he's got the best final smash dude he's got that little stampede of yeah. yoshis it's the funniest i remember the first time seeing that dying i didn't even finish the game because i just found that freaking hilarious but yeah thank you so much marcello for joining us today and uh, really looking forward to seeing what you do going forward uh as a gamecube enthusiast and we look forward to having him back really soon uh, but mike we have more callers joining us today but before we do i think you had something else that you wanted to talk about uh for the marketing on prime 2 yes we talked about it a little bit and because the marketing was very viral at the time 
And I just want to go into this really interesting thing with Halo 2. And because we've talked about Halo and we'll continue to talk about Halo on this episode. But Nintendo launched launched several websites, as you said, to initiate a viral marketing campaign with Echoes. uh, With inspiration drawn from Halo 2's alternate reality game, I Love Bees. The website included Luminoth Temple, an internet forum, uh, Channel 51, a conspiracy theory website that featured grainy QuickTime videos of Metroid Prime 2 as if it were footage of extraterrestrials. Uh, Orbis Labs, which sold a self-contained armored machine called Battlesphere, similar to the Morph Ball, and Athena Astronautics, which advertised sending women into space, featured a blog, and offered job positions for bounty hunters on Monster.com, the job site. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A Metroid-related spoof of I Love Bees, the the Halo uh, alternate reality game, appeared online in October 2004, to which Nintendo reacted by stating that it was not involved with it. The campaign featured similarly named domain uh, names such as I Love Beams.com, <laughs> which each had an image of Samus with the caption, All your bees belong to us. Never send a man to do a woman's job uh, nice. with a picture of Master Chief on there. So I thought that's like really, really cool. Nintendo says that they weren't involved in it, but uh, I'm not sure. I, f- I, I feel like they probably were in some, they, they at least knew it was happening. They had to have been, otherwise they would have they would have like shut it down or they would have done the Nintendo way, just you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Nintendo specifically, they don't want people making games based on their franchises, but they also don't want people marketing games like for them. Really, like you can see that specifically on YouTube, where they have their whole creator program. Where if you make YouTube, if you make Nintendo themed YouTube videos, you have to give them a cut of your profit and everything. Like they are very. Uh, very stringent on how they want their marketing done. And if they're not doing it themselves, then they'll shut you down. So they had they had some, not a say in what was going on here, but they definitely let it slide, which is enough for them to be involved in it. It's hilarious. And yeah. you don't see Nintendo doing that too often where they kind of take jabs at, uh, at other games, especially not these days. No, no. All right, let's move on to our last caller for today, Mike. Now, uh, this this friend of ours, he's been on the show multiple times. He's the uh, the official enemy of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. So mm-hmm. I'll let you introduce who this is uh, because uh, I, I cannot. Uh, enemy of the pod, Ramon, is coming on today. He's joined us uh, on numerous occasions in the past, and we welcome you to the show, Ramon. Thank you for joining us. Hello, uh, hello. <laughs> our first question of the day is... What is your favorite Metroid game of all time? My favorite Metroid game is probably Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> nice. Which one? The the one uh you you a melee guy, you a brawl guy? I mean, it's got to be the newest one cuz that's got the most Metroid, you know, there's Ridley, Dark mm. Samus, Samus, Zero Suit Samus. No, the Wii U version. That's my favorite one. There we go. Yeah. The Wii U. Oh, wow. Not the 3DS one. That's interesting. I would have thought maybe you were a 3DS Smash Bros purist. You know, I actually do have it on uh, 3DS. Never finished that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one did. Is there is there a story mode in the 3DS? I I couldn't tell you if you had to unlock it. I could not tell you. <laughs> there was like a board game thing involved in it, but as soon as oh, the yeah. Met- as soon as the Smash Bros came out on Wii U, which uh, you'll remember it came out on 3DS like two months before the Wii U version. As soon as that Wii U version came out, no one was playing the 3DS version anymore. I don't know, man, because uh, I I gotta disagree with you there, Neil. Because there are a lot more people who owned a 3DS than owned a Wii U. That's true. That's true. I think people just went back to playing Melee. I was after... one of them. I just I just had the 3DS version. So, But yes, I yeah. did just go back to playing Melee. <laughs> and you just mooched off of us. That's yes. what ended up happening. I picked up 3DS uh, for Smash, and then I ended up just playing Rhythm Heaven. 
<laughs> nice. Great choice. It's basically the same game. <laughs> I love Ramon's answer, though, because Smash Bros. is, like, the one of the best, like, representations of Metroid that we've seen in almost two decades at this point. Like, we, you're right. We have we have Samus. We have Zero Suit Samus. We have uh, Dark Samus. And then we have Ridley, uh, which is really damn cool because up until, like, this year, uh, the most recent Metroid game we had was, like, Federation Force on 3DS, which is one of the lowest rated Metroid pro- or Metroid games of all time. One so, of the lowest rated Nintendo games of all time. Naturally so. It didn't need to be made at all. And it came out at like the worst time in Nintendo's history when the Wii U was floundering and the 3DS was doing quite well. I don't know why they needed to release that game. But luckily this year we finally got Metroid Dread and it seems to be doing really well. Uh, but we brought Ramon on the podcast today to talk about uh, a near and dear game to, to his heart because this is the only Metroid game that you've played. Is that correct, Ramon? It's the only one I've ever played, ever owned. Um, it's, I think, my first also teen game, I think, for Nintendo. Ooh, interesting. Finally going, breaking into the teens. I get, was, was Yu-Gi-Oh! Fallsbound Kingdom not teen? No, definitely not. But, but, he, <laughs> but he said, uh, this is your first Nintendo teen game. Is that what you meant? Or your first teen game in general? I think my first teen game in general. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Why do you think this game was rated T? I think guns. we have to talk about that. It's anything really? with guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 100%. Guns and like more of a more of a scarier, darker atmosphere than than yeah. other games. Um I mean, it's the same reason that you could argue that Halo would be. I know that people will be like, "Well, Halo has real guns, but there's similar guns that, you know, that Samus has in terms of beam guns." Mm. No, that's true. And at this point, like there's only E, T, M, and AO, I think, were the only ratings. So What's AO? Adults only. Oh. Uh, which is, is like... What does that, that mean? That's like games where you let, you have to like undress women and stuff. It's mainly in Japan. But like, BMX X is an AO somehow. <laughs> oh, maybe AO was not around yet then because that's an M game, right? So that might be yeah. a fairly new, uh, a new thing. But yeah, I guess Metroid Prime 2 is not an E game and it's certainly not M. So yeah, teen, teen makes the most sense. Teen makes but, sense. Yeah. Yeah. But like playing this game back again this week, I can definitely see how like it has, it has a lot of similarities to like a survival horror game, especially with like limited, limited health, limited ammo. Um, I really love that actually. And the dark world, it kind of felt like you're playing almost like resident evil first person years before resident evil went into a first person mode. Yeah, no, I definitely got those vibes. And Ramon, what are your first memories of, of playing this game? Well, kind of similar to what Neil said, it's a scary-ass game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the first couple scenes, like, I don't I don't understand the plot, by the way. <laughs> I don't okay. understand any, who, I, who is Metroid. Is, <laughs> who is, Metroid? is she Metroid? I don't know. Um, <laughs> clearly not, because her name is Samus in Smash, so I don't know. Um, but in the first couple scenes, um, like, you see, like, dead spaceship or space people like bodies and then they'll eventually come back to life and turn into zombies so mm-hmm. that kind of freaked me out early on in the game I'm like oh i don't know what kind of game i picked up it took me two years to finish luigi's mansion this is going to take me three years i don't know <laughs> man yeah, you were in way over your head going from luigi's mansion which is like a three hour four hour uh action or not even action 3d platformer puzzle solver to a 25 hour metroidvania backtracking hell of a game where you have to switch between light world and dark world that's an interesting uh interesting jump that you made i i love that did not like this game uh, so much because it was so scary for me it really took me a while to kind of get into it and not be so scared like are all metroid games supposed to be kind of scary 
Well, they're supposed to be, they're all based on the Alien uh, franchise, the Ridley Scott uh, movie Alien. So they are supposed to be based on that kind of very alone in space, in the dark, no communication, no help. So to a point, yeah, they are they are rooted in survival horror uh, movies. That that's where the uh, the whole idea came from. Um, so yeah, uh, t- th- I mean the NES game is not scary because it's an NES game. Uh, the Super Nintendo uh, Super Metroid is not super scary, and neither is Metroid Prime. Uh, so this is the scariest one for sure. They definitely leaned more into like a horror aspect uh, of sci-fi, especially towards the end when you uh, start to fight Dark Samus a lot more, and eventually you see that that amazing like kind of see-through skeleton suit with the the veins and everything like that was it is probably the most horrifying metroid game of all time i i would definitely say so it's it's one one of the most horrifying on on the gamecube for sure okay that's good to know i'm i'm not just a big scaredy cat <laughs> no you're not just a big scaredy cat and you're and i also don't fault you for not knowing much about the story because unless you're really into the metroid lore and you really like dive deep into it it's incredibly hard to know what's going on because they don't beat you over the head with the plot and the the, the little bit of information that you do get is all hidden underneath like not audio files but just uh, written files that you have to scan like you have to scan the yeah, environment you have, to sc- you have to scan dead bodies to know what's going on otherwise you could play this entire game you know uncover 70 percent of the entire game not know what's going on but still roll credits not knowing what you've done other than just maybe killed a few hundred aliens uh and and a clone of yourself that is kind of funny though because <laughs> i kind of like the scanning i didn't like the <laughs> combat at all I'll, I'll kill something i'll scan all the dead bodies all the <laughs> i wouldn't read it but scan it. <laughs> that's fair well that was that was why nintendo had a bit of a tricky time marketing metroid in the 2000s because everybody knew space shooters as halo and mm-hmm. we bring up halo a lot it's hard to talk about metroid without halo uh and they had to kind of get around this whole calling it a first-person shooter game because that was what everyone was making. We've talked about Call of Duty, Medal of Honor, and and the likes of that. And they came out with this 3D first-person Metroid game, and they had to say it's not a first-person shooter. It's a first-person adventure game, and it's a first-person exploration game because it actually is very fun to go around exploring the the environments, to you know go backtrack and check your map and uncover new areas and scan dead bodies and scan broken pieces of equipment and find out like unpiecing what's going on you don't really want to be sidetracked by hordes and hordes of enemies although you do fight a lot of enemies in this game uh so i'm interested ramon how come you never decided to go back and play any of the older metroid games like super metroid or the obvious choice would be to go back and play metroid prime one specifically for metroid prime so after playing this this is not my first fps or first person kind of game but it definitely was the one that made me realize I actually can't play them because they get a lot of motion sickness. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I had no desire to start or looking at the uh, Prime games. Although, like, looking back, obviously, the classic Metroid games are just side-scrollers, so those look a bit more fun. But I don't know. I think after this game, I'm like, oh, they're, it's just it's just a scary game. That's actually <laughs> really... The motion sickness thing is a really good point. Uh, the, watching this game again and playing it... Um, with you neil uh on our stream uh last last week mm-hmm. uh, i i remembered i was like yeah this uh, this game definitely kind of is very uh, i don't know what the word is but it's like you're 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 always moving right there's a constant movement around you and there's not a lot mm-hmm. of games that do that and that hud is quite complex there's a lot of stuff going on so i i totally see where you're coming from around for any kind of motion sickness because i even feel it sometimes yeah, I'll be honest. I think maybe as <laughs> if I didn't have to be in Samus form, I was in that stupid ball. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Just exploring, the, rolling around. Playing as Samus as a ball is actually incredibly fun to the point where Nintendo eventually made Metroid Pinball, which was hilarious. <laughs> I think Metroid as a ball is, is awesome. I think Metroid should be in Super Monkey Ball in Kirby games. I think it'd be hilarious. Those are the crossovers that I would like to see. I mean, that's um, like the but, unique feature, right? Like like being yeah. able to roll around on the ball like that and just hop out, hop in. Uh, it's it's such a cool thing that defines Metroid uh, that makes it a lot different from a Halo, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Absolutely. But I, I, I definitely feel the same way Ramon did just with a first person shooter in Metroid. I got lost constantly like playing this game last week on the couch. I must have checked my map like in an hour, like no joke, 50 times, like every minute I have to check my map over and over again, like keep <laughs> yeah. bringing up the map because I don't. It's also very hard to navigate that map, but not knowing where I am, am I heading in the right direction? Did I go down a different path that I've never gone down before? Uh, is there a save state nearby? Because, like, God, I'm going to die at any moment. Um, so I don't so much get disoriented with, like, the shooting and traverse traversal. It's mainly just trying to remember the map, which I find way easier to do in the 2D Metroid games. For some reason, my brain is just once... 3D maps get too big. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. Uh, there's no like indicator on the map like there are in like the new Doom games, which are really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, but what's kind of crazy is that I was playing Metroid and I actually really love the HUD in Metroid Prime. I love like the visor. I love everything going on on the screen. I love when you can see Samus's face in the reflection of the glass, which they did in Prime 1 uh, when there's explosions in the dark. I would actually like to see Metroid uh, outsource to uh, VR development. I don't know if that's like an unpopular yeah. opinion, but I think that's where Metroid Prime deserves to be. I would agree with that too. I think that I mean we're seeing even Resident Evil Four, you know, be on on VR on Oculus. So I, I think it would make sense. Nintendo really hasn't done a lot in the VR space, but I would be interested in the next couple of years to see if they if Metroid Prime or if Metroid Dread does well, Prime Four does well. I could see them going to VR like a VR side project with Metroid. I mean, that would mean them putting their their uh, licenses on, on PC or maybe with Xbox or something. They're not going to do it with PlayStation. But I just think that that's where Metroid needs to be. It's such a cool world and like it would look so good on PC. It needs to have that up res, like the high fidelity graphics. Uh, that'd be really cool. But that's just a pipe dream. Uh, Ramon, I wanted to ask you, did you ever get a chance to play the multiplayer in Prime 2? Um, not with anyone, but by myself with two controllers, yes. <laughs> really? How do you do that? <laughs> It wasn't like a fun time. I was <laughs> no, I, I I would do that too with with. I think every kid did that at one point with games. Uh, if like if they just got the game and or they didn't have friends over, it's like, okay. I want to see what this multiplayer is. And so you like hook up all the controllers or whatever controllers you have, and you start going around and and to see what the hell this is. And exactly, I had really had to like pick my battles with my sister to play with me on Nintendo or on GameCube. So um, she was not into the, she was interested in watching me play Echoes, sure. but not ever actually playing the multiplayer. Yeah. Um, from what I remember, it was just kind of like a really bad Halo 2 <laughs> multiplayer. Yeah. It's very shoehorned in. I don't know why they, I know why they did it, but they really didn't need to. Mike and I played it last week for the first time ever on our live stream. And it, it, it just doesn't do anything well. Like it didn't need to be there. The game or the, I guess the campaign would not have suffered anymore if there was no uh if there was no multiplayer in there yeah. they're just trying to tap into that halo market trying to get the uh the sci-fi shooter gang to to come in and play uh with each other but not having online was is weird and i don't even think you can play with more than two people uh i, no. I haven't actually tried that so like if you can't do those two things and even in 2002 2003 like when we were playing nightfire there's really no point in even coming out with uh with a multiplayer game in a in an fps mm-hmm mm-hmm 
Yeah. Well, Neil, I think it's time for you to read the back of the case. What do you think? All right. Sounds good. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. A war of light and darkness become the bounty hunter behind the visor once more. Hunted by a mysterious entity and a warring race called the Aang, or Aang, Samus Aran must explore the light and dark worlds of a doomed planet. But time runs short. Running so short. My goodness. How, how far did you actually get in the game? Do you remember, Ramon? I was going to say, Neil, now in French. Um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I finished it. Okay. It took, it took a couple years, but <laughs> did you one hundred percent it? Like do you remember what your percentage was when you finally oh, completed it? There's no way he hundred percent. Actually, no. I think I was up into the nineties because I hmm. Oh the scanning. Yeah, yeah. You would have scanning, scanned everything. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like the combat, but I like the scanning. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. That's I mean, that's pretty impressive because personally I couldn't even finish it playing it this week because it is hard. So I gotta give you props for for making it that far. Oh, I'm not, I'm not joking. It took me, I'm, I'm not conflating <laughs> the fact it took me years. I dropped it, picked it up, dropped it, picked it up. I, it took actual years. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I can see why. I mean, well, you, didn't you see Luigi's Mansion took you years too? Yeah, because it got so scary. <laughs> you also didn't have a memory card too, so. <laughs> I was going to say, imagine if you got a GameCube with Metroid Prime 2 and no memory card. That is hell right there. Well, that, that's that. scary. <laughs> oh, that would be, that would suck completely. Oh, we'll leave you uh, with that scariest thought of the day. So thank you very much, Enemy of the Pod, Ramon, for coming on, sharing your memories. And uh, yeah, we're going to see you again in a couple of weeks for Pikmin 2. Great. Perfect. Thanks to you guys. A little nicer, a little less scary game. Yeah. yeah. Much nicer. All right. Take care, Ramon. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you, Ramon, enemy of the pod, for uh, sharing your your memories, uh, your thoughts, your opinions of uh, Metroid Prime 2 Echoes, as well as just Metroid Prime, the franchise, because we did not have him on for the uh, the first one. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it's been a great time just talking to everybody today, uh, reliving, I guess, Metroid. And, uh, <laughs> and, and this game, Neil... You know, now that we we might as well go into this. <laughs> uh, the, this this game obviously and this this trilogy has a future. I'm sure it will be remastered in some way in in the future. But do you see Nintendo, if they ever do make a Prime Four, do you see Nintendo going back to something like this, which was very different from the other two Primes? Uh, you know, not really having a Ridley, not really having Metroids that much, as you said before. Do you see them going back to this? I can. I think that when they, first of all, I'm going to go back to what I said a year ago. I don't want them to make Metroid Prime 4. I want them to make Metroid, a 3D Metroid game devoid of Metroid Prime. I want the trilogy to stay in the GameCube and Wii generation. I'm actually a little bit bittersweet about Metroid Prime not being completely on GameCube. I wish that Metroid Prime 3 was kind of like a Twilight Princess thing where it was also on GameCube, but Mm -hmm. I digress. Uh, I I do think that Metroid will get uh, another game where Samus does not fight uh, Ridley. Uh, we see it with Zelda games even to this day. Uh, you'll see a Zelda game come out where uh, Link does not fight Ganondorf. Uh, I like those games when, like Majora's Mask. I I, I appreciate it when uh, Nintendo franchise. Or I appreciate it when when I appreciate it when Nintendo characters do not always fight the same villain in every game. Yes. Um, 
But I think that when they do re-release Metroid uh, Prime 4, whatever it is, I think that they do need to go back to the Ridley formula just because it has been so long since we've done something like that. But Mm -hmm. Prime games are so big that, like, there are so many bosses and mini-bosses that, like, you could have really cool characters and new enemies included and then have Ridley at the end and it still feel like a new game. You don't have to introduce all of these new... Or you don't have to completely reinvent the wheel and create a completely new antagonist and protagonist or a completely new antagonist. Uh, you just need to kind of make a game that's fun, like Metroid Prime, but in in HD. And uh, that's what I'd like to see, really. Yep, me too. I definitely agree with that. I, I, I could see it almost like a Breath of the Wild where Ganondorf really isn't... Uh, I mean, he's referenced, obviously, uh, but mm-hmm. you don't really, you, well, you don't encounter him really until the end, uh, the very end yeah. uh, of the game. And I think that's a good way to do it for Prime as well. You know, have Ridley brooding somewhere, like have the idea that Ridley will will be the boss that you have to get over. And I mm-hmm. love that in games where you know kind of what you're going to be facing at the end, roughly. But you have to get through all these unique characters and unique yeah, antagonists uh, before you, you get there. And I think that is what Prime 4 probably will be we'll see when when it actually comes out needs to be yeah and i love dark samus as a character i think it'd be cool to just have both dark samus and ridley come back uh together because like like we talked about just at the end of metroid prime 2 when dark samus comes out and the character is like half samus half like this see-through hollow man looking character with like a skull face that was such a neat like concept and i would almost like to see like a ridley character like that too where ridley's also like darkened and kind of zombie like uh, I think that'd be really neat. Um, I just want an amiibo of that Dark Samus, though. Really, like that. That's all I want from Metroid Prime Two. <laughs> I don't want the game to come back like remastered or anything. I just want that amiibo of uh, Samus and Dark Samus at the very end of Prime Two. Um, that'd be really neat. For right now, we have uh, Metroid Dread, which I'm very excited to play. You and I are both uh, bigger fans of the 2D Metroid games, so I will wait patiently for whatever the next 3D incarnation of Metroid is. But for now, Mike, we have Prime 2 on the shelves still. They're $90 out there if you wanted to pick it up. Do you suggest the listeners out there pick up Prime 2? Yes or no? This might be one of the toughest ones I've ever had to do, Neil. Because I agree. It's, <laughs> it's really hard. And I think, I, th- I think my answer goes like this. If you already own Metroid Prime 1, I think you absolutely have to pick up Echoes. If you don't own Prime uh, and don't plan on picking it up, then you definitely do not need echoes yeah i really i i thought the same thing as you when i was like do i suggest people pick up prime 2 i don't know like prime (laughs) 1 prime 1 is an absolutely yes if you find that like if you have a gamecube and you don't own prime 1 what are you doing go get that game right now but prime 2 like i i feel like you could skip it and really still have a killer gamecube library uh without it i think prime 1 is a must own but just because it doesn't really improve on much of what prime one was doing i don't know if it's a must pick up um i I think it's a must play i think you should play it but like if you can borrow it off of a friend like what i did with you mike or if you can find an emulator of it i never suggest emulators but frankly metroid games are very hard to find at cheap prices so if you can find a good emulator maybe experience it that way this one is really the first maybe like i don't know if this is a a must pick up honestly big maybe i I feel like if you are a fan of the uh, if you are a fan of the franchise and and you don't have this game i think you have to pick it up because you probably already own it to be honest but it, it is it is unique enough, I think, that it's worth having. Like so my my short answer is yes, you should pick this up if you can. 
yeah, that, that it's a good enough answer. Like, it's not as bad. There are way worse Metroids games that you could be picking up. Like, do not pick up Federation Force on 3DS. That's the thing. Uh, this game, you know, we're, we're, we're criticizing this game just because its predecessor is nearly perfect. And it's the same way we criticize other Resident Evil games because Resident Evil 4 is nearly perfect. So it's very hard to talk about these games without talking about the other. And, you know, Retro Studios did kind of back themselves in a corner with that. And I got to give them a lot of credit for going out and making a game that was much more unique than just a a Metroid Prime sequel. After making, uh, they must have been horrified, like making that next game. And I would, I cannot even imagine the pressure that they were under. And and it, it worked out to a point, just not commercially. Critically, it definitely did work out. Commercially, it did not, which is unfortunate. Um, so our our uh, our advice is maybe pick it up. If you really are a huge fan of Metroid, you love Metroidvania games, go for it. Pick it up. Have fun. Uh, let us know what you think. Hopefully, you can beat it. It's it's hard as hell. So uh, have a great time. But Mike, while we're, uh, while we're banging our heads against brick walls trying to beat Metroid Prime 2, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 75 of the GameCube is Cool podcast? Episode 75, what's the 75th anniversary gift? Is that a thing? The 75th anniversary, according to Google, is called Diamond Jubilee. The 75th anniversary can be referred to as a Diamond Jubilee occasion, but but it is commonly used to refer to a 60th anniversary. Okay? Mm. An anniversary of 100 years is simply called a centen... I can never say this. A centenary. Okay. Yeah, so... Okay, so I get it. So 60 years is kind of when they give up. After 60 years, it's all diamond. (laughs) It's like the tennis rules where you scored a point, yeah, you got 15. Yeah, because I was like, I was like, the queen had like the diamond jubilee like a while back, but I'm like, she hasn't, it's not, it hasn't been 75 years, but I, I see, I see. So now everything's just a diamond jubilee. I got it. Yeah. Every episode going forward will be a diamond episode for us, basically. The diamond here, number 75, is Bionicle and Lego. Uh, and we're going to be talking about three games specifically. Two of them are, are Bionicle games, one of them is a Lego game. And we're just going to also be talking about Bionicle in general because it's the 20th anniversary of Bionicle this year, uh, which is uh, just like the GameCube. So it's uh, it's pretty crazy because uh, I have vivid memories of Bionicle, and I know you do as well, Neil. I do. Uh, the same friend that I had growing up who got the GameCube first, too, which is what the first my first memory of GameCube, he also was my first experience with Bionicles. He got them randomly for his birthday. I guess we were eight or nine years old. And I remember leaving that birthday party, asking my parents to take me to Mastermind Toys, which is a toy store here in Toronto, uh, to take me to go get some Bionicles because I really wanted those badly. Uh, they ended up in Happy Meals. They ended up in movie theaters on t-shirts. They were really quite a craze for a solid Honestly, like a couple of years for me, but Bionicles were around for a lot longer than a lot of people think. So yep. very excited to talk about the franchise, or if you want to call it that, and the games that the GameCube had. Yeah, yep. It'll be a fun time. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm excited for it. <laughs> I love Lego. Oh yeah, me too. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 74 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are The GameCube Was Cool. Or you can follow us for free on Instagram, at The GameCube Pod. Share us with your friends and family. Tell your pet Metroid, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. What does Metroid say?